Hello, who are listening to the Greekonomics podcast. Let's begin the episode of the best podcast in the world. Hey, everybody. This is Alkis, and you're listening to the Greekonomics podcast, the show that explores how social, technological, and economic conditions will affect the businesses of the future with a focus both on the Greek economy and worldwide. Welcome to another Greek economics podcast. Today, we have a great guest with us, Kerry Lutz, or how would you like me to call you, Mr. Lutz or Mr. Kerry? Uh, you can just call me the recovering attorney. <laughs> and as you said, he's a recovering attorney and a serial entrepreneur. He has been podcasting so much. That's why I wanted to have him on, on our series. And I'm not going to talk a lot more. Let's hear from you. It's great having you. It's great to be on and always love to help in any way I can. An aspiring uh, podcaster. I've been doing this for, for, this is my 12th year now, believe it or not. So it's always good to see people getting into it and doing it right. So what do you do in your normal life? I've had four or five careers now. I'm on my sixth believe it or not. You know, entrepreneur, first and foremost, family had a legal printing business in New York, the East Coast in the United States, did that for a while, sold out of that. And while I was doing that, I became an attorney. Is that what you studied? Were you Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like I was dealing with lawyers in the business, figured, hey, nothing could be more helpful than being a lawyer when you're dealing with lawyers. And, you know, went to law school and also the business, you know, was printing ink on paper. And even 30 years ago, you could see the handwriting on the wall. We didn't know about the Internet, anything like that. But it was obvious what was going to happen. And I figured need an insurance policy. I'll become an attorney and it'll help. You know, it was the best thing I ever did as far as succeeding in business, because Not so much knowing the law, though that doesn't hurt, but the analytic logic reasoning skills that you get in law school really can benefit any entrepreneur's career. I'm not saying everybody should go, but having a basic knowledge of a legal system, and regardless what country you're in, having the ability to read a case and understand it and read statutes and understand them, that is an invaluable skill in any society, especially one where we're so legalistic at this point, everything revolves around the law in every society. Uh, Knowing your legal system can be your best friend, although that's unlikely, but it can definitely be your worst enemy if you don't know what you're doing. So getting that experience really helped me in everything else I did. I was always involved in legal-related businesses till I got into podcasting, And that's a whole story in itself. I've always been into economics, Austrian economics, which Mm. basically kind of an offshoot of classical economics, which pretty much Adam Smith, Hayek, Hayek, von Mises, you know, Rothbard. There's a whole host of them. And to this day, it's a disfavored area of economics because it believes that markets function best. 
governments, uh, when they interfere, intervene in markets, do nothing but make things worse, and that the problems that we face in society are mostly due to those created by government. And I don't think many people really could take an argument with that. You know, what we're facing in in the world today, be it in uh, communist China, Russia, United States, Greece, yeah. wherever it might be, most of the problems that we're undergoing, that we're living through now, are direct results of government intervention into markets and into everyday life. And the United States, when it was really growing at its peak, didn't have a central bank, had a very uninvolved government. That's not to say the government we did have was a good one or didn't do a lot of things that we might regret now. But because it was so much smaller, the amount of havoc it could wreak was more limited. Now, anything is a valid... Yeah, no, it's a different story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's how I got into that. I went to Pace University. They had a, a collection of Austrian economics uh, books, but they were in a dusty corner of the library, and I happened upon them. After watching Milton Friedman's and his wife Rose Friedman's epic series called Free to Choose, which really made the case for free markets and made me search. At one time, I wanted to be an economics major, but at Pace University at the time, the economics department was mostly communist. So, you know, their main concern was unionizing the faculty. They failed and they went bye bye. And that was the end of them. Yeah. So why did you give up law and change your career midway through the, through the path? Well, let's see. I, I, I did a number of careers. I didn't practice law that much. Three years, then I was a partner in a law firm. We bought debt. We bought charged off consumer debt and collected it. Highly profitable until the government decided that that was not a business that should exist any longer. Rather than passing laws, directly outlawing it, they just made it impossible to do that business. But that's the way that works. Then I was looking for something else to do, consulted to mortgage banks, things like that, to help people raise their credit scores. And then I found podcasting and always wanted to be in the radio, on the radio, Always thought I'd have to buy my own radio station, but then podcasting came out, and that was a game changer because you could basically own your own radio station, and really, you just needed to know the technical aspects of recording a podcast, and then websites, all that stuff, promotion, marketing, all of that. So, And now I'm doing stand-up comedy on the side, having a lot oh, of Oh, wow, that's a really difficult <laughs> thing to do like i can't imagine myself trying to entertain so many people especially like that you know it's well there's a formula for it i'm just starting out but my first two ventures have been very successful but you know there's a lot of different kinds of humor there are humor universal humor triggers you know stay away from people in your personal life who don't have a sense of humor in your business life definitely stay away from them No, it's a science. It's totally like, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, that's why I call myself the recovering attorney. I always say, you know, I practiced law for 35 years. I was really bad at it. I mean, if you were a criminal charged with a crime and you came to me, it was time to pack your toothbrush because you're heading to jail. If you were getting divorced 
and you came to me, your wife was going to wind up with the house, the kids, everything. And God help you if I handle your bankruptcy, man, you were going to be dressed in a barrel at the end because you were going to lose everything. So, Actually, I was a pretty decent attorney, expert in my field, but uh, humor is a different story. You tell stories. Yeah, and of course, one thing you can learn is tell, telling stories in whatever language. If you can tell stories, you will always be in demand. People will always want to be with you socially. They'll want to be with you. They'll want to connect with you on a business level because storytelling is what life is all about. Yeah, and I remember actually a year ago I did the we, the Stanford program. I I followed it was a two month program. It had a specific course titled Moonshots. It was one of the business professors at Stanford, and basically what they one of the exercises they did was they gave us a random object like a an empty box, and they told us to start storytelling in order to promote and sell another imaginary product like use the box to sell something totally random and this really shows how much they value storytelling and how how important of an aspect it is not only in business but everywhere another thing i would like to focus on because i was really amazed and i wanted to ask you i was thinking about it was i read that you semi-retired at 40 years old and this is something that many people are, are looking forward to it's for most, the goal of their life. So how did you manage to, to achieve that? Well, so I managed to sell my business. I was partners with my brother. We weren't really getting along well. Figured it was time to move on. And, you know, just made enough money from that. Had some windfalls from real estate, an inheritance here and there. And I blew through a lot of it, I'll admit. But I realized I didn't really like working a nine-to-five job or a job with regular hours. And I managed to to get this podcasting gig. When I say semi-retired, is, you know, I've been more semi-retired at times than others. But you do your you do your work, you do what you need to do, and you know you have to have the goal of wanting to be in that situation. To me, semi-retirement is the best of all possible worlds because, like I said, you don't have a nine-to-five job. You work your own hours. Presumably, sometimes I might be working 12 hours a day for a couple of weeks here and there, and then other times it's two or three hours a day. So you have to make that a goal. It's not just going to happen to you. And I would mention you probably will not be able to be an employee you're going to have to work for yourself or do gig work or something like that. But you have to make it a priority of accomplishing that. And had I known about it, I would have made it a priority a lot sooner. You enjoy talking. You, you enjoy what you do. And this is something I think is a necessity in order to be able to semi-retire and whatever comes with that, you know? Yeah. And everybody has different definitions of that. But... You know, you're starting your own business from scratch. Expect to work your butt off for a number of years till you get to that position. Mm-hmm. Hey, you might get lucky, lucky, and you might find the next greatest crypto out there. God willing, that's great if yeah. you can do it. Hey, I wish I had invested in crypto when I first found out about it. Then I'd be fully retired. And I wish I hadn't invested. 
I wish I hadn't invested this January, but you know, it can go both ways. See, if you had been listening, watching the Financial Survival Network, you would have known that 67.7 was the peak of Bitcoin and you yeah. wouldn't have touched the stuff. But now it's due for a little bump up. Yeah. Hey, the important thing is you make mistakes when you're younger, but you learn from them and you don't bet the ranch on any one thing because you think something is great, it's going to work. You know, a lot of the time it doesn't. I've worked on big deals. I worked on little deals to make these deals happen. You know, it, it they can fail. You have to accept failure and you got to cover your downside. But really, look, because consumers are not always rational. This is one of yeah. the main things that you learn in behavioral economics that within a, in a society in which people are not 100% rational, as we assume, oftentimes good thing based on a qualitative analysis or like a quantitative analysis often don't go as well as we yeah, thought they would. <laughs> look at it this way. Like the system now as it's constituted is like going to a used car lot where all of the odometers have been rolled back, where the transmissions are slipping and the tires are all bald and the baggage is pouring out in the back seat. All right. The system's rigged, but You can profit from that rigging. Uh, my mantra is live every day as if the system was rigged in your favor. All right? So you find ways to take advantage of it because they can't rig everything all the time constantly. So find the thing that's rigged in your favor. Go for it. That's a really, it's the first time I hear this quote. Really, I think it's the most applicable one that I've heard in this area because really I've heard many things that are often way too idealistic you know they don't take into account as you said how rigged the whole system is but I, I totally agree with what you said but going to this specific topic of a rigged system <laughs> I would like to move more into macroeconomics as I would really like your perspective especially having done so many episodes with so many great individuals, economists, entrepreneurs, everything. I would like your to hear your opinion on the likelihood of a recession in the United States. Because oh, it's a really hot topic right now. It's yeah. really something that it's a million dollar question, as they say. So I would really like to hear your opinion on that. Actually, it's the million, it's the trillion dollar misdirection. <laughs> okay. Because yeah. by all accounts, the United States already is in a recession, okay? We've had two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth. That's the very definition of it. But I would, I would state that we've actually had three or four negative quarters of GDP, negative GDP growth, because there's a thing called the GDP deflator, and that is you deduct the rate of inflation from the growth rate. So you come up with a real rate. And we all know that the inflation rate that they're quoting us is grossly understated. So when we look at it, they say 9.1% the last quarter. I could make a good argument. It could be double that. But even if you say it's 12% or 11%, that knocks out the growth from the preceding two quarters of negative growth. And that means we've been in a contracting economy for a year. So the recession is here And yeah, corporate profits are a lagging indicator of a recession. 
And really, the stock market is reflecting the fact we're in a recession already. The irony is that employment numbers until very recently have been going up. So we had this recession while employment's going up, rather unusual. But if we go back and really adjust for the real inflation rate over the years, there's many, many years of of zero and sub 1% growth cooked in there. What makes it often look like we're actually not in a recession is, is you can still have living standards go up. Certainly they've been going up yeah. in large parts of the world. And, and I was you know, I was reading, sorry, I was reading the report by the National Bureau of Economic Research, and the, they are basically a group of, a, an eight-member group of macroeconomists. I think there are some names like yes. Robert Gordon of Northwestern University and Christina mm-hmm. Romer of Berkeley. And they consider a range of variables beyond GDP, from consumption to industrial production. And... Actually, this analysis has okay, has occasionally led them to declare that an economy is in a recession, even though GDP is growing. But this time, they have actually said the opposite, that even though GDP is decreasing, the economy has avoided a recession. And I think what they basically said, just to sum it up, is that they have put a lot of weight on real personal incomes and employment figures. And both of these are so far holding up better than GDP growth. But then we are seeing so many other factors that are contributing to the fact that this might actually be a recession. (laughs) I think the US debt is really something to not leave on the side right now, especially seeing how aggressive the Fed has been with uh, industry hikes. Yeah, well, so all of this is based on assumption that the GDP actually accurately models or reflects growth. And debt isn't really figured into GDP. And when stuff is debt-fueled, really the question is, are we creating wealth or are we destroying wealth? And to look at what's happened here over the past couple of years, it's been a wealth-destroying mission by the government deliberately or not, that is the direct result of their policies. And inflation is wealth destruction. Now, if you're the 1% that's, you know, besmirched by everyone, then you can, you find ways to fight it. Yeah, but for the poor people who can only have a savings account with negative real interest rate, their Mm -hmm. options are much more limited rather than a person that can invest in real estate. Well, so look, this is where really working the system as if it's rigged in your favor comes in really handy. Now, I know, like, I remember I've been to Greece a couple of times, and one thing that always impressed me was all of these unfinished houses. You mean you've been to Athens or to Mykonos and, you know, to the islands? Athens. I went extensively around Athens. I've been to the islands, too, but what this Mm. was 35 years ago. What impressed me was the number of unfinished homes that people were living in the basement or the first, you know, basements there, the first floor and the above them was incomplete. Yeah. And the reason why... That's a really funny story, actually. It's a, a Greek characteristic. What happens with Greeks is that because 
financial markets, people cannot really do not trust financial markets because of a, a series of factors that mm-hmm. have led to this over the years, like weak buyer's protection, product market regulation. Generally, there's there are many things that are, are affecting this, but because they essentially do not invest that much into the stock market, like in the US, the main thing that they do is that they invest in real estate. And you see every time that the economy is going slightly better, you see mm-hmm. that every single land land area is getting, there's a house being built on it. Right. And this is a classic thing with the Greek economy. But yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, it's one yeah, so thing that... I would- when I was there 35 years ago, I was led to believe that the reason why you had all these incomplete homes is you had no mortgage market there, and you basically built your home for cash. And that is really... Is that, is that still the case in, uh, in Greece? I'm, I'm pretty sure this is also one of the main things, but I think most Greeks view it as an investment because when you have an economy that is this unstable, when there's mm-hmm. so much uncertainty... The only thing you can really count on are bricks and the thing you're building on. So, so I think this is one of the main reasons why you see Greeks right. putting you guys all their money. Believe, you guys believed what we believed till 08 and 09, that real estate always goes up. All right. And real estate will go up as a result of inflationary forces in the, you know, in the economy. They, it will go up, but there will be times where it goes down and it's illiquid and you're not when you need the money the most you're not going to be able to sell that home so that's an issue and then the fact that uh, a lot of sweat equity goes into these homes they don't borrow money to build them limits the value it, it's it's an asset that if you watched it from a time lapse photography camera you would watch this thing very slowly get built Whereas in China, you know, these things get built in the blink of an eye. So your yeah. ability here to retire is to figure out how you get these things built faster, that you'll be able to survive the recessions when they come, when real estate prices go down, and they do on occasion, and to get them done to buy these homes, whether it's grouping investors together making a fund yourself, whatever it is. There's, yeah. Your market is totally irrational there, or was, and continues to be. So if you can rationalize an irrational market, you can make a bloody fortune. And it's easy, too, because once you figure out how to do it for the first property, you can keep doing it and doing it. You know, it's the inefficiency of the system is your friend in the beginning, because you could figure mm-hmm. out how to solve problems that others haven't. So, especially yeah. in a market like this, like uh, yeah. if you manage to really achieve that, I think this is a a golden ticket, especially in Greece, because this is where my most of my experiences is, is mm-hmm. based on. I think that, when, in, especially in a country that values real estate so much, finding a way to do that is really one of the main yeah. opportunities that Absolutely. exist. Yeah. Hey, you know, so that's just one example of how you can do it because. You know, Greece is not a hotbed of innovation in the markets, whether it be financial markets, real estate markets. So you go and you look at where people have innovated, turned these markets that were backward into modern markets. And there's the key. You don't even have to. Look. Yeah. 
you know, you just need a couple bucks on your own, a couple of people with money, and then start doing it. And, you know, I know it sounds easier said than done, but the whole yeah. purpose of business is to solve problems, right? And I'm sure you got a problem of people sitting on a lot of cash. They're nervous about it, inflation, and they want to put it into real estate. But maybe you have 10 the friends. The more you keep it, the more inflation erodes your yeah. savings. So it's not really a choice. Sure. sure. Yeah. So, so that's just one example. But, you know, there are inefficiencies and smart entrepreneurs find the inefficiencies, figure out how to get around them. And that's how you make your money. And I've done it a number of times in a number of different businesses. It's not really that hard. And, hey, in the U.S., I got like 10 million people trying to do the same thing as me. In Greece, you know, because there's you and a handful of people. The competition yeah. is nowhere near as fierce there. If yeah, you're motivated, willing to work your ass off for 18 hours a day for a few years, you'll be on top of the heap there. And obviously, based on all the education you're getting, at some point, you got to stop the education, go out and get the real world education, the school of hard knocks. I mean, this is the most, the biggest part of your education as well. Oh, your education yeah. starts when you finish college, when you finish medical school, law school, yeah. like myself. Yeah. That's when your education really begins. But having those fundamentals being able to tell a story, being able to read financial statements, because let me, tr trust me on this one, even the really smart people out there that I know, virtually none of them can look at a financial statement. And all a financial statement is, is telling a story with numbers. All right. So if you could read a financial statement, you could filter out some things, filter out some yeah, communication, uh, right? Yeah. Do a business plan. It doesn't have to be a, a thesis. It just has to be a general plan and uh, articulate your value proposition to potential investors. There's no limit to what you could do there. And uh, having the credentials probably means more in some ways in Greece than it does in the U.S. But having the credentials is definitely a plus, but it's no guarantee for success. You know, the guarantee for success mm -hmm. is ideas application, recognizing opportunities, seizing opportunities, and then going for it because, yeah, totally. you know, that's the key. So it mm -hmm. sounds like you're on your way. You're doing this pod. You know, there's, there's a world full of people out there trying to teach you how to do this stuff for free, mostly on the internet, YouTube. There's like a zillion videos out there that can help you do this. And the other thing is once you get started, you want multiple streams of income. So if one stream goes bad, you know, Robert Kiyosaki, yeah. you know, read yeah. Robert Kiyosaki's books. They tell you everything you need to know. Good debt, bad debt. Good debt is debt that helps you buy an asset that gives you cash flow, makes you money. Bad debt is debt buying a, you know, a Ferrari yeah. and then just paying interest on it. And it just sucks your money away. And then so, you eventually sell it for half the price. <laughs> yeah, well, that was the way it used to be. But now, after the pandemic and everything else, used cars have become a valuable Yeah, asset. but certain cars, like the old cars, yeah. Well, like here in the U.S., we had a shortage of used cars. So yeah. cars that you spent $50,000, $60,000 for four or five years ago were worth more than what you paid for them, also a function of inflation. Mm -hmm. So point is, you know, good debt, bad debt. 
If you're just yeah. doing it to buy a fancy car, forget it. But if you're going to you do it for Uber and you got a fancy car and you get to get double or triple what they get for the crummy cars, then that becomes an, an income-producing asset that, that you want to consider. So I'm, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm not telling anybody anything here that, that people don't know about already. It's, it's all out there waiting for you. Sure. The difference is the people who succeed, they go out and they seize the day and the people, and they don't, they take responsibility. They own their mistakes. They own their successes and they learn from their mistakes. The people who are losers blame it on the government, on yeah. the, the market, on the this, on five bad luck, you know, Hey, yeah. take responsibility. Even if it's not directly your fault, it's your fault. You know, there was president Truman in the United States. He had a sign on his desk. The buck stops here. Well, you know what? Yeah. In your life, the buck stops with you. So you have a bad relationship, get rid of it, get another one, you know, own your success or your failure. If you own your failures, just because you failed in the past doesn't make you a failure. It just makes you a student. Yeah. What what would be one of the things that you would advise your younger self if you were able to travel back in time and see this young kid (laughs) walking? What what would you say? I'd never... I never tell hosts when they're asking me questions. That's a really good question because, of course, it's a good question. Otherwise, I wouldn't be asking it. In your case, because you're rather you're newer at this than me, that is a great question. And often people say that just to stall for the answer. But what I would tell myself is, A, life is a roller coaster. You're going to have ups and you're going to have downs. B, you know, live beneath your means. It's not something I'm still really good at, but I'm better at it now than I ever was. You live beneath your means. Three, if you hate what you're doing, you're going to hate your life. So get out of it. There is no excuse for for doing things that you hate doing just because you think it's the right thing. So don't worry about what other people think. All right? They're just not worth the effort. Uh, take risks, but don't take mm-hmm. reckless risks. Take yeah. measured and well thought out and well analyzed risks. You know, yeah. really risk is inherent in life and the risk reward is up to you, but you've got to properly assess risks. And like, you can't necessarily look at the balance sheet of Tesla and see the risks there because you don't have the knowledge and you don't have the insight. So you've got to measure risks where you can get the information. Always, and yeah. our President Trump in his book, The Art of a Deal, said, I always look at the downside of a deal where the worst that can happen if it happens, I look at that and then I let the upside take care of itself. So obviously there has to be a big payoff. The bigger the risk, the bigger the payoff. But at some point, you are going to be gambling, right? It's a gamble. But what's the difference between a speculation and a a speculation and a gamble? Well, speculators believe that they've got enough information that they actually have an edge on the market mm-hmm. and can take that risk. Gamblers, the odds are always against the gambler unless they got insider information on, on this horse that's going to win. 
So, right, basically, don't gamble, all right? And there's a big difference between gambling and speculation. And then when you do acquire wealth, invest wisely and invest over time. Don't invest. You got some money and blow it all in cryptos because you think cryptos are going up because, A, cryptos are something that average person can adequately or properly assess the risk. I knew in uh, the last, uh, was it November, when uh, Bitcoin peaked, I knew it. It was a triple top, classic chart formation. And I, I'm yeah. on the record as calling Although it. Although I'm the, not a big fan of, of looking at charts and finding patterns, I'm more of a, a qualitative analysis guy. But still, That's okay. charts and patterns can often tell a story, yeah, in these cases. The key is that you must get the knowledge necessary. You don't understand cryptos, don't invest in them, all right? I understand them pretty damn well because it's just another asset class, another market. And when people start telling you, no, it's not another market, these are special, all right? So there's two things that you need to really check yourself with because we always get into it. This is a new economy, which when... Tech is booming. All this stuff's going on. People tend to think that the business cycle has been repealed. It's a new economy and things are really different. And they think that on the way up and they think that on the way down. So the market crashes. No, this is going to be the one time where everything falls to hell in a handbasket and the market will never go up again. And I've been through enough of these cycles to know that the market always goes up again. Will there come a time when it doesn't? Yeah, if that time comes, humanity is going to be in such a bad state that you aren't going to be worrying about uh, the price of Google, the price of Amazon, Tesla, Apple, all right? Assume that things haven't changed, that the economic cycles are going to continue like they have for hundreds of years. And the other thing is there's really nothing new under the sun. There's a lot of technology new It's variations, it's synthesis, it's derivations of, of technology that's come before it. But technology probably is the only thing that is going to keep us going and save humanity in the long run. It'll either save us or kill it or both. So yeah. My, my advice to me is looking back and don't be in a rush to be a millionaire. Everyone who want, is in a rush to make money. And that desire, that ambition that is like oozing could be, be a great friend, but it could be a real enemy and you have to treat it that way. Don't think you're a genius just because cryptos went from a thousand to 67,000 and you took the ride. Never mistake a bull market for genius. Okay. That's what my friend Rick Rule says. So the market's going up. And the other thing is we're still just animals. All right. The pleasure center When markets go up, when you see that Bitcoin go up $1,000 a day, dopamine's flowing, you are on a high. And you need to know when, when to end that high and get out with money. Those are the biggest mistakes I've made. And, and that's uh, the hardest thing. That's the, whole, that's the whole thing with the stock market. You need to know when to buy and when to sell. I mean, if it were that easy, everyone would be billionaires but this is a whole story with the stock market anyway 
but have an insider edge. And that doesn't mean illegal information. It means studying an industry so much that you know as much as the people who are in it. Now, that is a really difficult thing to do for the average person because the average person can't read a balance sheet, a financial statement. They're lost with the numbers, and they really don't understand these things. There's a very small number of people who can actually look at a company's financials, get an accurate picture of what's going on in that company. That is a real skill. Uh, Maybe the computers will figure it out now, and we won't need those people. But the securities analyst who really can get into the company, tear apart apart its financials, talk to management, go to their physical locations, see what the heck's going on there, that is a rarity, Alcus. That's a real rarity. So don't think, you know, there's an old saying in poker, if you're at a poker table and you can't tell who the sucker is, it's you. So... Don't be the sucker. And I've been the sucker many, many times here, you know? So these are all cliches to you until you actually have the bitter taste of experience in your mouth. And then you pledge never to do it again. And then you do it again. You don't really know what I'm talking about here. But this is the words for the wise. Yeah. And I sure didn't. My 21-year-old self, I had not a clue. Yeah, but I mean, this is something you learn from experience. Unfortunately, whatever someone tells you, if we were all able to to really attain all the knowledge and the information from someone older and continue and improve the next generation, but this is something that cannot really, it's not that feasible. Like, they tell you all these, as they say, cliches, but sometimes you really have to see it for yourself to actually be able to grasp this concept because these are not easy things to be able to realize and to embed into your way of thought. Well, I'll just leave it with this quote. A smart person learns from experience. A truly wise man learns from the experience of others. (laughs) Okay, then. (laughs) I guess this is a, a nice quote that comes as a compliment to what I said before. It's really something that that I feel like is a useful tool to have in your mind when moving forward. Because we often underestimate the power of, of all the years that someone has lived, of the experience of someone who has lived so many so many events, so many years, and to be able to utilize this to to our advantage and uh, yeah thank you thanks a lot for providing your your insightful opinion on all these topics and i really like talking to you i really enjoyed this conversation and thanks a lot and i I would just say there's anything you really want to do in life you can do it you just have to decide you're going to do it you know henry ford said if you think you can do it or you think you can't do it either way you're right and that is the most important lesson you know, I don't want to get into the law of attraction and all this mystical stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it applies. I do believe in it. But all you need to know is that, you know, you work towards something, you really believe in it, you really want it. You got to enjoy the journey for sure. The journey is really, really important because if you're miserable in the journey, then the prize is just not going to have as much value. But if you love what you're doing 
And every day you get closer to it. It's a great thing. And I would just say one thing I did learn when I wanted to sell my company, when I was partners with my brother, totally miserable every day. I don't want to get into the details of our relationship, but it wasn't a, a good one on both sides. And I take my responsibility for it. But I wanted to sell that company and I wound up selling it to my largest competitor for a really fair mm-hmm. price. Didn't super rich, but it was a good price. And every day I did five things to make that sale a reality. And I would just make a list. And there were some that were more important than others. But every day, if you've got something you want to do, write down five things every day that's going to get you closer and keep doing that. Don't stop. All right. If you're a little lazy, write down three. All right. But make them more important. Five things every day. All right. Right now, I'm working on my sixth career, stand-up comedian. Every day, I do five things to make make that a viable option for me. Look, it's my retirement more than anything, but I want to be good at it. You know, don't settle for mediocrity. Be the best you can be at any given thing. Always do your best. All right. If you always do your best, and look, none of us do, but we if you always try to do your best, if it doesn't work, it didn't work, but you know you did your best and there was nothing more you could have done, it really makes a difference. So five things every day. Every day. And it will it will be yours. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the key here is the word every day, because five things once, I mean, I'm sure everybody can do it. But every day, I think this is where you can distinguish someone who... Every day. There's no excuses here. If you want it, you'll do it. And you know what? If you you don't want it that bad, that you're not willing to discipline yourself to do that, that's minor discipline. It might be... You could have it all done within 15 minutes, those five things. And it might be they take half a day or a whole day. But if you really want it, then you'll do it. And you know what? If you don't do it, then you really didn't want it that badly. And you probably won't get it anyway. So don't bother. Hmm. Mm -hmm. But this is an American attitude. I realize the European attitude is different in many respects because Europe doesn't exalt entrepreneurs. United States, China, and other emerging countries exalt entrepreneurs. And this is the very crux of it. So, but on the other hand, because you have no competition, you don't, it'll be much easier for you. You still got to work, but (laughs) in Europe, in other parts of Asia, in Africa, in South America, you can do things that we can't even dream of here in the United States. So, and, and you have so many less people reaching for the brass ring, if you will. So I don't really want to introduce another thing that would drift away from, from this whole, as you said, wisdom discussion, let's say. So I think adding something else would make it, would drift away from the whole main area of discussion here. I mean, I'm really happy with how this episode turned out. I don't know if you would like to add anything else. I'm very happy with the outcome. I'm I'm happy to end the episode here if you're okay with it also. Great. Uh, thanks hey, a lot hey, for it. 
been a total pleasure. And I'm really flattered that you thought about talking to me about these issues. I hope I've given you some food for thought and helped to help you out there to go and really, you know, basically punch through the envelope. The envelope is your limiting self-beliefs about what you're capable of. That's the only envelope there really is. Thank you for tuning in Greekonomics listeners. And we will meet again in the next episode.